Can somebody say praise the Lord? Well, how many love to go to the fair? Some. Well, you got bad news this week. They moved our fair till April. I don't know if you heard that or not, but uh, not having it in September due to these silly corona thing we're dealing with. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of James. We started a series last week, a verse-by-verse series through the book of James called A Word to the Wise, and it's about wisdom for everyday life. Now, when I use the word wisdom, it simply means making right choices. And how many know if you make right choices in life, life's just better? If you make a right choice, you buy the right car. If you make a right choice, you marry the right person. If you make a right choice, you get the right education. You get the right job, the right career path. I'm telling you, friends, if we'll make right choices in life, we will avoid the pitfalls. You'll avoid the the struggles that define many people's lives. The obvious question is, how do I know how to make right choices? Well, this is the the thesis of this uh, series is that wise people will apply God's Word to everyday decisions in life. And if we do that, we'll make the right choice. Well, today we're going to finish up chapter 1. We'll start chapter 2 in two big topics. The first one is called the Word of Truth. We'll explore what this means. And secondly, uh, a hot topic for today, we're going to talk about discrimination. We're going to talk about racism a bit today, so I hope this will help you. Uh, James chapter 1, we're talking about living by the truth of God's Word. Uh, About eight verses that we'll look at this morning, and it'll be in three parts. The first part is the foundation, accepting God's Word as truth. Now, when I make that statement today, I have just lost most of America. Because most of America does not believe the Bible is the Word of God. Most of America does not believe that the Bible is absolute truth. Most of America does not believe that the Bible was inspired by God and it's profitable for living. The Bible teaches that it does. I've chosen to believe. I hope you do as well. But we're going to talk about accepting this as foundational truth. Number two, we're going to talk about doing what God's Word says. And then lastly, applying it. You remember the doing part? James says, don't just be a hearer of the Word, but a what? A doer. And the last part, the practical part, it talks about controlling your tongue. It talks about helping uh, widows and orphans. So let's jump in together. But I want to begin in verse 18. I want to take a step back to last weekend uh, because when you read the Bible, you want to read the Bible in context. You don't want to just pull a verse out arbitrarily. You want to understand what the Bible meant first to the people. How many know the book of Corinthians? How many know that was not written to us? It applies to us, but it was not written to us. It was written to a people that lived in a city called Corinth almost 2,000 years ago. They had unique problems. They had cultural issues, language differences that we can't fathom today. So we want to read the Bible in context of its, what it has to say, just like we would a, a modern book or story today. And here's where we left off. James 1.18, God chose to give us birth through the... Yeah, see, when I do this, I'm not scratching my ear. I want you to tell me what's next, okay? Through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. So we're talking about the Bible. The word of truth is the Bible. Now let me digress a minute and share a scripture with you that encapsulates this. 2 Timothy 3, Paul the apostle. Paul was someone who literally was caught up to the third heaven, 
Paul literally had an out-of-body experience. He saw heaven. He saw the Lord. He heard revelations. No other man has heard. And he was the one that penned this. He said all scripture. So when we talk about the word of truth, we're talking about the scripture, the word of God, the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. It says it is inspired by God, which means God caused men to write these words to us. But notice its purpose. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. And then he repeats it. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So this is the sense of the Bible, uh, that it is a pathway to life. It is a guidebook to live our lives. It shows us the right way to go. Uh, during this COVID crisis, we bought a, our grandkids were with us quite a bit early on. So we bought a swing set. And uh, it took a number of weeks to get there, and finally, five big boxes show up. And uh, uh, Linnell and I went through the boxes. We, we found the instructions. But uh, how many know instructions are sometimes written in ancient languages? <laughs> and no matter how long you stare at them, you just kind of are scratching your head. And we were just kind of doing the best we could. Uh, my daughter, Bethany, came. Her husband, Mason, he's pretty sharp. And, and they found a video online that would actually walk you through it. So we followed this pathway to build this swing set, and uh, it turned out perfect. Uh, if we hadn't followed the instructions, <laughs> I don't know, honey, what would have happened? We'd have probably been divorced. The kids never would have had a play toy. But we followed the instructions, and it works. Well, this is, this is what the Bible is. You know, modern culture doesn't believe this. They don't believe in absolute truth. If you just look at kids' cartoons, if you look at a textbook, if your kids go to public school... If you look at uh, what our culture teaches about morality, about marriage, uh, it's opposite from the Bible. And I would suggest to you that America is in chaos today because we have literally thrown the Bible away. The Bible is, is like boundaries. It's like boundaries that keep us from falling off the edge. But if you look at America today, lawbreakers are not punished. And it seems like in this era of defund the police, we're going to even redefine what crime is. It's like everything is changing. Uh, we look skyrocketing national debt. It, it's almost like money means nothing. Uh, rebellion against authority. The breakdown of the family. We could go on and on. But all this chaos is because we have, as a nation have turned our back on God's word. So let's go to James and find some, uh, uh, some, uh, a way for us to be successful in life by number one, first section, verse 19, uh, accepting God's word as truth. Um, let's read verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, and this is a pretty good maxim for living, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, how many can say, that sounds great, Pastor, but I'm quick to become angry, quick to speak, and slow to speak. Anybody like that today? Yeah, a couple honest people here. There's a lot of liars in this room. I find that every Sunday. Uh, you know, I do this, these kind of things just to get you to interact. I'm just like you. I find if I'm interacting with a speaker, it seems to go quicker, number one. But number two, I tend to learn more from it. I'm engaged in it. So I, I try to bring you in is, is what I try to do. But notice what it says now. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. 
I, I tell this funny story. Uh, it, it wasn't funny at the time, but when I was growing up, I, growing up, I was raised on a farm, and my daddy, dad had a lot of people working for him, and uh, my dad got things done by yelling at people. Uh, from the time it was time to get out of bed, from the time it was time to hurry up, uh, from the time it was time to get back on the tractor, lunch is over, it was all several octaves higher than normal, and that's just kind of how we lived. Now, my dad is a dedicated Christian now, and I've watched him change. Dad's not like that anymore because dad realized that something that he was just doing to try to get things done was not God's way, and there's a better way. Uh, Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. And then he says, get rid of all moral filth and evil. Well, now, how in the world do I know what's filthy today? I would challenge you, if you were to compare television 50 years ago to today, it would be pretty easy to figure out what's filthy. But if you just look at the world around us today and what people do, we have no clue what's filthy. Again, that's why we go back to the Bible because it teaches us. Now, here's, here's where the scripture comes in. Uh, get rid of the moral filth and evil and humbly accept what? The word. What word? The Bible, God's word. To humbly, first of all, accept it. Embrace it as, as the pattern to live my life. For example, think of a railroad track. It's got two parallel tracks that are running. Imagine one is God. We're the second one by choice, and we want to parallel what God's word says. So we want to accept it, number one. But <clears throat> notice what it says, humbly accept it. Now, that means that we have to, we have to uh, if I can say this, submit ourselves to God, bow ourselves to God, yield to God to put God's ways first. And if we do that, this word, of course, will save you. Now, notice what it says, the word that's planted in you. I love to garden. It's a hobby of mine. And uh, probably my favorite uh, summer vegetable is yellow squash. I mean, my wife can just cook it. She takes those little yellow squash and cuts them up and, and boils them and mashes them and puts butter and salt and pepper, and it's just like marriage supper, the lamb. But I planted some at first, and then I, can, I know they're not going to last that long. And when, when I, I see that one's starting to bear, I take some seeds and I put them in the ground for some more. And now I'm starting to eat this second crop because the seeds were planted and they grew. Well, in the same way, God wants his word to grow in us. He wants to take us wherever we are at our level of maturity, and he wants to grow us into the person that he wants us to be. Uh, and this is, this is how we mature believers live the Christian life. We listen to the word of truth. We recognize destructive things like anger or words that we've said that are destructive. How many know fights have been started, relationships destroyed, divorces happen, people go to jail, all because of uh, words that are, that are thrown out there that can't be taken back because of anger. And, and if you're here and you say, okay, man, I'm with you, but how do I change? All of us, you know, have some level of anger at different times. My wife and I got angry at each other the other night. I don't know what she did, but honey, we... <laughs> I'm just teasing. I had a bad day. Something happened to me, and it just kind of blindsided me. And I, and I expected Linnell to just uh, be a mind reader. So I just kind of threw something out there, and she didn't take it. 
and say, oh, honey, you're so good, and I understand, and they're bad. She didn't do that. <laughs> she just kind of said, okay, and we had a little tiff. No, we don't do that very often, right, Rebecca? <laughs> She's my daughter on the front row here. We, we, we did, but we do it. We, we, we did it. Well, here's the deal. I have friends that do it all the time. I have friends that live with this, this devil inside, this demon, and they go from one destructive place to the next. They can't hold a job. They can't hold a marriage. People don't like them because it's out of control. So here's the question. How do I control that? How do I control those little words that are like darts that come out of my mouth? I'm going to tell you, I'll help you on this one. The first thing, friends, how we change is accepting God's word. In other words, bringing your life to the scripture and comparing it and saying, Lord, I've got a problem. I need you to help me. Now listen to this next one. It's huge. When we accept the difference between right and wrong behavior, then the word of God and the Holy Spirit have power to change us. Listen, I'm for anger management classes, but I know a lot of people that go through anger management classes and they're angry at the instructor when they leave. <laughs> listen to this. Let me help you with this. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Listen to, listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says about this book. It says the Word of God is alive and powerful. Now think about that just a minute. This book is alive. Now, it doesn't have breath like I have. It doesn't have a heartbeat. But somehow, the author of the book can take the person who reads it, who embraces it, and produce change in their life. And one way that he does this is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. I planted some young fruit trees a couple years ago, and they hadn't borne fruit yet. But I'm hoping next year that when they get a little bigger, there's going to be uh, pears, and there's going to be plums on the branches. Well, in the same way, this is what the Holy Spirit will do for us. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love. What's the next word? Patience. Maybe you can't even wait for the microwave to make popcorn. Do you know the Holy Spirit can help you with that? The Holy Spirit can help us with kindness and with goodness. The Holy Spirit can help us with gentleness and self-control. Isn't all this the opposite of anger and sharp biting words? Sure it is. C could we just take a minute right now and whatever you've been thinking about in your own life that you're struggling with, could we just ask the Holy Spirit to help us right now? Just bow your head, but I want you to pray, not just me. Say, Lord, I believe that your word shows the right way. And I've got some things in my life that I know are not right, but I confess I have been helpless to change them. And I want to invite you to help me. I want to ask you, Lord, to take those character attributes and flaws in my life and turn them around, turn them upside down, and make me into a new person. I'm going to cooperate with you. In Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Now, let's move to the second part. Doing what God's Word says. Verse 22, say this with me. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. 
do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not, uh, but does not do what it says is like it's someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Now, think of this analogy. We're talking about a glance versus an intense stare. After looking at himself, he just glances, he goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like. I mean, ladies, don't you just hate it? You're in the mirror for a while, and your husband goes to the mirror and just kind of does that and off and running. Well, no wonder you look so cute and he looks the way he does. But look at verse 24. He looks at himself, he forgets what he looks like. Now, the picture here is a person that just hears the Bible, hears a sermon, and just like that forgets it, and it never takes root. But listen to this next part. It's probably the most important. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, God's Word, this law that gives freedom. Isn't that what we're all looking for? Is freedom from these struggles? Well, as we look intently into the Word of God and continue in it, that's the key, that we continue pressing after God, not forgetting what we've heard, but doing it, what's going to happen? God will bless us. God will bless us. Now, this word look intently, it means to look closely and learn what's there and apply to the way we live. Now, let me, let me uh, uh, talk about a mirror a second. Uh, you, if you have teenagers or if you are a teenager, you know there are two things in this life that are like a nuclear bomb. The first one is if someone unfriends you or defriends you on Facebook. How many know the world has just collapsed? The second is if you get a pimple, a zit on your face that looks like a volcano about to erupt. As you look at that thing in the mirror, you look at it from different directions. You don't know if you need to do a little doctoring. Or if you need to wear a band-aid, you put a band-aid on it and that looks worse. You put makeup, you do things. Now that's what a young person does. But how about an old person that gets a little spot on your face? What are you thinking about? Oh no, skin cancer. And this little mole begins to grow and then it gets a little hair in it. And then you, you say, honey, bring the flashlight here or turn on that bright mirror that you've got. And you're looking intently at it just to see if makeup is enough or if you need to go to the dermatologist. Now, we all understand what that's like. That's exactly what, this, what we're saying about the Scripture. That reading the Bible shouldn't just be cursory. And I highly encourage everyone to read their Bible every day. I've been a Christian for over 40 years, probably 45 years. I've never backslidden. I've never walked away from God. I'm not perfect. But the one thing I credit, the fact that I've stayed with God for 45 years, is every day I have a time with God. Every day I read my Bible and every day I pray. I might miss one every once in a while, but if I do, I get right back on track. It will change your life. Get you a good study Bible. If I was going to get a Bible, my, my all-time favorite is what's called the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. It's New King James. It's New Living Translation. The Life Application Bible is a great one. Uh, the ESV Study Bible is a great one. But I'd get a Bible, and I would make it a part of the fabric of my life. Listen, it's not enough to know Bible doctrine and facts. We've got to do what it says. And let me illustrate that this way. Let's say your marriage is in trouble just a little bit. Um, and you don't know what to do. Can I tell you what to do? Very simple. Start going to the Bible. If you would just go to Ephesians 5, and husband, if you would just do one thing, Ephesians 5 says, 
Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And ma'am, if you would just do one thing, do what Ephesians 5 says. Show your husband honor and respect. You say, well, he's not worth honor and respect, and I ain't giving him any. I understand he's not. But if you will find one thing that he does well, even if it's taking out the trash, tell him no one in the history of trash taker outers has ever replaced the bag from Sam's, opened it perfectly so new things will fall in, put it around the edges so things will not fall out. If there was an award given in life, it would be given to you for taking out the trash, honey. Now, I'm being a little stretching a little bit there. Your husband needs affirmation. That's his greatest need. I mean, sex is pretty important, but affirmation is his greatest need. These are just truths in the Bible, and if we'll apply them, it'll change their life. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. Now, let's keep moving. Verse 26, applying God's Word to everyday life. This is practical Christianity. The book of James is called the gospel in shoe leather. It's practical. It's put it into practice. Look at verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious but don't keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is wow. Now, the word religious simply means uh, doing what God requires, living in a way that God requires us to live. But I want to suggest to you there's two kinds of religious people. There's a group like the Pharisees who had it all going outwardly. And then there's a Mother Teresa that has a practical Christianity and a love of God flowing from her life. Look at what it says. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. That's a big one. He says, do these two things. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. Orphans and widows as a class of people was probably the most troubled group in their era. They were the ones most apt to be stricken by poverty and to be in need. So he's saying, help needy people and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. In other words, be godly and don't be worldly. Live God's way and not the world's way. And this is what the Bible calls pure religion. Now, James says, I want you to think a second. James says, if we just do outward religious rituals... Uh, if you don't have practical Christian living in your life, it's worthless. It's the Greek word mateos. It means futile. It's useless. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a group in the Bible called the Pharisees. How many have heard of the Pharisees in, the, in Jesus' day? Yeah, they, were, they were the group of people responsible for keeping the Bible alive from the time of Malachi to the time of Jesus. What, three, four hundred years these people, they knew the Bible, they had it all down, they had the laws and rules down, but the strangest thing, they're the ones that crucified Jesus. These Pharisees had all the outward trappings of religion, but yet Jesus would heal somebody on the Sabbath day and they'd get angry because they said, you just broke the law. Something was missing. Let's read what Jesus said. Matthew 23, Jesus said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, you're a bunch of hypocrites. You're careful to clean the outside, but inside you're filthy. You're full of greed, and you're full of self-indulgence. So, so what's the application? It's not enough just to go to church and recite the liturgy. We want to love Jesus with all our heart. And flowing out from that is a practical love for people. 
And if we will do this, what Jesus said, practical Christianity is evidenced by caring for people in need. And if you were to ask me today, I mean, in our culture, thank God we live in America that has a social security system that cares for needy people that can't care for themselves. We don't see a lot of, 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 of orphans in America today. We have orphanages and, and there's systems to, to care for them. Most widows are cared for, but, 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 but many are still in need. But how about, how about a, a single parent? I think one of the greatest needs for ministry in the church world today is a single mom or a single dad barely trying to make a living and trying to raise healthy kids in a world that's so demanding. I mean, we live, how about today, a, a COVID patient? I mean, they're the ones that, you know, if you even think somebody has COVID, you know, society's got your program to do that. Well, let's say they get it in their home quarantining for a couple of weeks. How about bring them dinner and just putting it on the front porch or making something to bring by? My wife told me this week, she said, I, I have a new hero. I thought it was me, of course. But she said, no, she said, uh, my, my hero is, is Karen Rayfield. And I said, well, why? And she said, well, she met this girl, this lady, this woman, and she had three kids and she was pregnant and she just couldn't handle it anymore. She was just going to turn them over and walk away from them. She said, I'll help you find a place for your children. And she was pregnant. She was going to have an abortion. She said, if you don't abort that baby, I'll find a way to make sure we raise this baby. See, this is what the world needs. The world needs people that are willing to care for other people. It's what's missing in our world today. And this is what uh, Scripture teaches is pure religion. That you and I are helping other people created in the image of God, sharing them love of God in both practical and tangible ways. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's, he's worthy of praise. Now, let's, uh, let's, let's, I'm going to spend the last few minutes talking about the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, broadly, it's called serving all people with compassion. But uh, I, I want you to remember this phrase. We're just going to look at four verses. Love everyone and don't discriminate. Let's, uh, let's get into this. Look, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, the example he's going to use has to do with uh, 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 economics. But let's read it. It's got broader application. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a best friend. But favoritism means treating one person better than another. Uh, one translation says, never think some people are more important or better than others. The social distinctions... And he illustrates verse 2, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but if you say to the poor man, sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated? Now we know this word today, discrimination it's similar to favoritism. It means treating people differently based on personal attributes like their skin color, their gender, their social standing, how much money they have. Um, our world has become very keen to this. Notice he goes on to say, you've discriminated among yourselves 
and you've become judges with evil thoughts. You've become a judge. You've set yourself up to a place to decide, I'm better than you because of the color of my skin. Or maybe you feel projection from someone that says, I'm better than you because I live in a bigger house or because I drive a nicer car. Uh, I'm better than you because I graduated from, you pick it, the Texas side. And you graduated from the Oklahoma side. So I'm better than you. My, my, my wife got her feathers ruffled this week. Uh, someone that she cares about uh, accused uh, us of being rednecks. And naturally, they weren't rednecks. They were sophisticates. I won't go much further into that. But there's things in life. I want to, I want to talk, let, let's talk about the racial hostility in America just a second. I think it's getting worse. We're trying to fix a problem and don't know how. We're dealing with, and clearly, America's racial past, where men and women were enslaved because of the color of their skin, is inexcusable. It is wrong. Black lives do matter. God loves black people. Come on now. God loves white people. God loves brown people. God loves people. And the world has cut us into little categories and has us throwing rocks at each other who never did anything. We're trying to fix this problem by tearing down statues, by rioting. It's hap it, started, it, it hadn't stopped. I think it's Portland. Portland or Seattle. It hadn't stopped in 58 days now, every night. They're rioting. They're burning things down. Federal courthouses are being pillaged and set on fire. It's happening in Louisville, Kentucky. Our militias are going down the streets. Another place it happened I read about this morning. We're doing this. We're attacking good police officers. We're attacking people who disagree. You publish an opinion on social media that doesn't fit the, whatever you want to call it, the politically correct speech, the mantra of the day, and it's this force like a bulldozer out there that's squelching anything that differs with whatever this new, new line is. Uh, politicians are playing all of this to get our vote. And I want to tell you, friends, what we're doing will not solve the racial problems in America. And the reason why is because the racial problems are not external, outward things. They start with the heart. And I want to talk about this. I want to share with you some practical biblical advice. But I want to tell you how crazy an example uh, that it is. Uh, I, I use these little ear monitors. We used to have big old things on the stage. And it's not because of the ego of the person that's playing the drums. It's because if you, as a speaker, if I can't hear myself talking, I'll, I'll lose my voice in four minutes. It just, it's weird. So these little things that fit in my ear, well, my old ones went out last week. And I told Pastor Zach, I said, I need some more. So he gave me some new ones, and the cords happened to be black. And I put them on, and I just asked him, I said, Zach, I don't want people to see them. I want it to disappear, like my little microphone. I just want it to disappear so they just see me. Uh, can you get me some uh, flesh tone ones instead? And he said, are you a racist? Now, we're joking about it, and he wasn't serious, but it, hadn't it come down to that? 
that stupid things make you a racist? Let me give you some things that I think would really get to the root of the issue if we really want help. I'm not convinced that everybody that's on this bandwagon really wants help. I think a lot of people really want a revolution in America. I think a lot of people hate America as founded and they want to change it. They want to, they want to give us some new America that we don't know what it's going to be like. And they're selling it in the guise of socialism and communism. The only problem, that doesn't work anywhere on the planet. Let me go back to some Bible principles. Here's the first one, Galatians 5. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we love all people in spite of racial and socioeconomic differences. This is the core. Now listen to what Galatians 5 says. The whole law, in other words, the whole Old Testament fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know that I have ever heard that in the modern media since this whole thing started last March. I don't know that I hear it. Well, I don't hear it, and I don't see it. You say, how do I love my neighbor, Pastor? Well, Jesus said things like, you pray for your neighbor when they despitefully use you. Jesus said, you turn the other cheek. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, you're patient. He said, you're kind. You're long-suffering. In other words, you treat people the way that you want to be treated. You don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't find love with somebody with your fist in their face. But you find love by caring for them as a human being created in the image of God. This is missing. Love is not a feeling. It's an action. The problem is we're judging people based on the color of their skin rather than their individual behaviors. This is a part of the diabolic thing that we're slipping into. Let me give you this second point. Not only should we love people as ourself, but this foundational principle would take us a long ways. There's only one race, the human race. Say, where do you get that? I'm glad you asked. Acts 17, verse 26, it says God made from one man, this is Adam, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Which means that, listen, the modern idea of race is not biblical. All you hear today is are you black, are you white, are you brown, are you Asian, are you Hispanic? And it's called identity politics, but they get us in our groups and they tell us how other people have hurt our group. And everything is about the color of our skin. Listen, the Bible does not differentiate people that way. Every human being is created in the image of God. The people that you look at and despise, friend, that are doing crazy, stupid things are your third cousin or fourth or fifth. But there is a starting place that there is an equality among human beings that have value and dignity simply because we're created in the image of God. It is not our skin color that gives us value. It is not our economic wealth or lack thereof that either adds to or gives us value. What gives us value is our Creator has made us, and God didn't make a mistake. Can I tell you, listen, if you're an African-American, black is beautiful. If you're a Caucasian, white is beautiful. If you're a Hispanic, the tan color of your skin is beautiful. I want to tell you, friend, you don't hear that in the world. 
in the world you hear how evil people are and people, the evil is ascribed for things to just because of the color of your skin someone did a hundred years ago and you never did it, you lived just the opposite but you're thrown in a group. Listen, there is one race, it is called the human race. And our modern discussion on race is dividing us, not reconciling us. It is building walls and not bridges. Maybe the starting place is to realize we're all created by the same God. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me give you another one. A big word in our world today is equality. The only problem with this word is the only way you can have everybody equal in the world is to have an authoritarian government that basically takes everything away from us to, to dumb us down to the lowest common denominator. This is what communism does. They offer the working man, they want to elevate them, and in elevating them, they make everybody impoverished. Let's talk about equality just a second, because equality can be found at the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, I want you to listen to this. It's speaking of Christ, that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. This is the big ethnic divide of their day. It's like today saying black and white. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. What's that? That's the economic differentiation. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. In other words, the gender differences. Men are better than women, or women are smarter than men, or blah, 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 blah. In Christ, all that falls to the ground. What does it say? You are all one in Christ Jesus. I am your brother, and I am your brother, and I am your brother, and I am your brother, simply because we share a common Christ. We worship the Christ who died on that cross. That is where true equality will be found, friend. Equality won't be found, listen, trying to make the government make us all equal. Listen, you can make me go to a different school. You can put me on a different bus. You can make me hire so many numbers of so many different kinds of people, but you can never make me love someone. That's why the problem with this thing is of the heart, and this is what Jesus Christ can do. When I look at you, listen, I don't see the color of your skin. I don't see whether you rode a bike, a car, or walked to church. If you love Jesus, you're my brother and you're my sister. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. And let me close with this, and I think this is probably the most important. This is what is missing in our modern discourse. We should seek peace and reconciliation by forgiving the sins of others, not retaliating and destroying them. Let me say that again. We should seek peace and reconciliation by forgiving the sins of other people, not by retaliating and not by destroying them. And can I tell you, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're going to be called children of God. I just don't see this on our news media. I don't see that people are trying to reconcile. I don't see that people are trying to create peace and harmony. I see violence calling for more violence. I see fingers being pointed at people who are the perpetrators upon the victims. Friends, if you and I would try to be agents of God's peace, if we would extend a hand, not a fist to fight, but a hand extended in love, I think America would go a long ways towards fixing what's broken. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. 
I'm going to close with this, and I, I want to mention a couple things that, that, uh, that make me proud to serve here as your pastor. One of our core values is that we try to love all people. Now, how many of that's easy to put on a piece of paper? That's easy to put on a sign, but it's hard when people are different from you. But I want to tell you two examples that speak loud and clear to me. Um, you know, we're building a new, uh, remodeling a new church building. And uh, it's going to be nice and everything. But all a building is is a sheep shed. All a building is is a place to hold the people that try to live the Christian life. I want to tell you the story about two people before I go home today. The first one's name is Raven. Raven was a man, you might have seen him. He came on and off to church three or four years. Raven was homeless. Raven didn't want to live inside. He, he had clearly some, there were some psychological things going on. We'd always watch him. He was not a danger. But he was scruff. He didn't smell good. You wouldn't smell good either if you lived outdoors. But I watched people take care of Raven. I watched people give Raven food to eat. I watched people get him deodorant, get him a shower. I watched people get him medical care when he'd been hurt. He was in a fight with somebody. And Raven died a few months ago. I think Raven may be in heaven because of the love that was shown by several people. Raven's not easy and fun. If you sit next to Raven, if you're not social distancing, he smelled a bit. It's kind of awkward. Doesn't really fit. But you know what? People like Raven, just like you and I, we bear the brokenness of this world. We bear the hurts and pain of divorce. We bear the stigma of having been to jail. We have our things. I think of another man that makes me proud of our church. His name was Ron. Ron came to the church about 15 years ago. His brother was here. His mom was here. And Ron had been a part of the homosexual community for a number of years. And Ron had AIDS. And Ron came home to die. Ron didn't have a special seat right over here that said leper. Ron sat back there and people loved Ron. They had a donut with him. They had coffee with him. They put their arm around him. We baptized Ron right in this baptismal. Took two people to carry him down in the water because he was kind of, he'd lost his ability to, to function to some level. And Ron was with us maybe two years and then Ron went to be with Jesus. And we had a funeral that celebrated a life that had gotten off track and found its way back. That makes me proud. It made me proud when I heard and saw the expression on your faces when Pastor Travis was talking about the help that we sent to some people this week. People that we'll never meet. People that are different color skin than most of us, but are Christians that are dying for their faith around the world or starving because they don't have 50 bucks a month to eat. You know, it's costing millions of dollars to remodel this new church building. We could have taken that same $10,000 and got a nicer gadget or a plusher carpet. But you know what? The heart of this church is we'd rather help people. We're going to have a nice place and a decent place. But you can't take buildings to heaven. I mean, no, only people go to heaven. 
And that's the kind of church that we try to be. We're not perfect. People's feelings have been hurt. and Some have been excluded that shouldn't have been excluded. But we do our best to love all people because that's what the Bible teaches pure religion is. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we want to, want to have a closing prayer. So glad you're here today. You that watched online, so glad you took a moment to be with us. But before you go, before you turn off the, the message, I want you to take just a moment, and let's do what James said. Don't just be a hearer of the Word, but be a... So bow your head just a second, and my question is, what does the Holy Spirit want you to do? What in this as you have looked into the mirror at your life today? What has the Holy Spirit put His finger on? Maybe some of us today need to renew our commitment to reading our Bible. Maybe we lost the habit. Maybe others know a lot about the Bible but aren't living it. I don't know what it is. Don't feel bad. Don't get beat up. But just choose today that I'm making a change. I'm living God's way. And then how about that second part about pure religion? Are you the same on the inside as the outside? God wants us to care for people that are in need. He wants us to keep watch our tongues and keep ourselves unspotted from the world. You see, it's practical Christianity. And it's evidence not by the clothes we wear or the Jesus, uh, Jesus shirt we wear. It's evidence by the way that we love people. So, Lord, we want to pray today for the love that we've talked about for this racial problem in America. We want to pray that you would help Christians be a part of the solution. I want to pray that you would always help this be a church where everybody's welcomed and everybody's loved. But for us as individuals, when it comes across our pathway, Help us do what Jesus would have us to do. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Let's close with one last song here. And as they're getting ready to play this, after we dismiss, we've got four doors to exit. Please social distance as you go. If you've got a mask, I'd put it on as I was walking out. If, you have a, if you're a guest, a visitor, if you go out the front door in the lobby, they've got a little a gift for you. Bring your card there. But otherwise, if you're a member, there's a, a, opportunities to drop your offering off of the doors as you go. But they're going to sing a last song. I want our prayer team to come to the front. We always want to make a place for individual prayer. It's a little more complicated with COVID going on. I need some more prayer members up here. But if you need personal prayer when this is over, I want to ask you to just kind of remain at your seat. And one of these people that are prayer partners, they'll come to you and they'll, they'll pray with you. But if you're here today and say, Pastor, my greatest need is I just need to get right with God. Now look at me just a second. Turn everybody out in just a moment. I just need to get right with God. If that cross represents Jesus, and you're honest enough to say that you kind of get close to the cross and maybe you felt close to God today, but after church is over, you just kind of go back to life the way it was. And whenever you have a religious need, you kind of turn to the cross, but you keep going. Let me tell you what it means to be a follower of Christ. It means you come to a place in life where you stop trying to go your way and you're ready to go His way. You humbly ask God to forgive you for what you've done wrong. And you commit your life to follow Him the rest of your life. That's the defining moment, friend, when everything changes.
And maybe you're here today and you've tried to find happiness in the world, happiness through money, relationships, education, alcohol, and none of those things satisfied. Jesus satisfies. Maybe you're here today and there's a great burden and weight of sin. You need the forgiveness of God. Listen, friend, that's what Jesus is all about, forgiving our past and giving us a brand new start. And if you would like to pray and commit your life to follow Jesus today, if you've gotten away from him and you want to come back, but you want someone to pray with you about your spiritual life, it's Pastor Travis, one of our pastors here. I want you during this song just to come up and let him pray with you. It'll be the most important thing you've ever done. Listen, let's go ahead and sing our last song. Uh, so glad you came. I love you. And uh, let's sing this song and we'll dismiss. God bless you. Let's sing this together. You're worthy of it all. are open so you can feel free to be dismissed at any time and we just pray that you'd have a blessed day tonight.